you know, there is no like miracle overnight fix for marketing. It, it, it is a, it is a long-term engagement. There's just, there's no way around that. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Word of mouth marketing, what it's like to invest in companies and be successful, what challenges present themselves, how do you leverage LinkedIn to drive more business, that and more is on the plate today. And to help us with that, I'm excited to have on the show Bill Bice, CEO of Boomtime, someone I've spoken with before who shares a passion for marketing and sales that matches my own. So Bill, thank you very much for taking time and welcome to the show. Chad, it is great to be here with you. So we always like to start with a little bit off the wall question. And so, uh, you know, we all spend so much time working. Uh, we always like to give our listeners insight into individuals outside of work. So curious if you have a hobby or passion that those that only know you in the work environment might be slightly surprised uh, to learn about. What would that be? Well, so I, I guess the surprise, I mean, I, I don't look like the athletic, uh, lithe type. In other words, I'm, I'm a big guy, but the thing I love doing is mountain biking. And I happen to live in a place with just hundreds of miles right outside my backyard. So between mountain biking and horseback riding, I'm sort of always, always in the mountains. Wow. The horseback riding, that wouldn't caught me off guard. So it, uh, I'm going to be just, I'll be completely vulnerable here. Horses scare the crap out of me. Like I'm a big guy too, but horses. Like there, I don't know about, I don't, I just don't know about an animal that could just as easily you know, just crush me. I'm not used to that feeling. Yeah. Well, they, they probably should scare you, but <laughs> trust is important there. Yeah, it is definitely, uh, it's definitely an interesting, I don't run into them very often. <laughs> Goodness. Um, on, and on the mountain biking side. So I have a lot of friends that do mountain biking. I got to ask, have there been any, my friend calls them opportunities for, uh, for learning, but crashes that have left, uh, scars. He shows, he likes to show off a couple of these scars on his shins that he got when he was in Moab. Yeah. If you look at my shins, you'll, you'll see lots of opportunities for learning that I've <laughs> Perfect. All right. So, um, give us a little, give the listeners a little context around boom time and, and how you ended up there. We know that, you know, all the guests that we have on the show so far, nobody has said that when they were young and, and, you know, playing around the holidays and getting presents and stuff, they weren't sitting there playing with their toys going, whew, I hoped I could get into sales and marketing when I get older. So always uh, interested to understand the story of how you've arrived at where you're at and, and what boom time is focused on. Yeah. So this, this really came out of my truly frustration in getting great marketing for my own company. So I, I feel like I was born an entrepreneur. I, I started my first company, uh, at a, at a young age. And, you know, when I look back at, so I've, I've built or invested in 27 companies and the, the go to market is the, is the crucial stage. Like whether that's where the friction is that the, whether you get, whether you achieve the success you're capable of, it all comes down to go to market. All that hard work of creating a great product or service and taking care of your clients, you know, that only pays off if, if you have great marketing. 
Right. And have you, have, have word of mouth is an interesting concept, right? It's one that, uh, most people that I talk to, they'll talk about, um, influencer marketing or how do I get this individual? You know, I don't think that's what you're talking about when you say word of mouth. You're, you're talking about true, uh, I would assume uh, getting someone excited and passionate enough to, to literally genuinely share it with someone else. Am I correct in that assessment? Yeah, I'm really talking about the the one form of marketing that just always, always works, which is word of mouth. And so one of the things that I love is is sitting down with a business owner and, and asking them, hey, where, where'd your last couple of new clients come from? And if they say, oh, they, you know, it was a referral from somebody, then I know, I know I've got a great opportunity there to help them grow their business because they're doing the really, the really hard part. They have created that great product or service. They're doing a great job of taking care of their clients. The foundation is there. Now we just need to employ the right techniques to amplify that effect that's already working. And so how would you, how would you go about helping them apply those right techniques? What are some of those? Cause I know a lot of people that I talk to, it, it, if they're in sales, most of their lives, marketing seems like black magic. And if you're in marketing, oftentimes sales can seem like black magic. It's so always interested in trying to get them better aligned. So how do you help them understand how to tap into that word of mouth marketing at any point during a, a go to market strategy or, or even a revenue generation cycle? Yeah, and you're really talking about one of the core problems, which is so we, we do a lot of work with B2B companies and that that split between sales and marketing is it, it's such a challenge in, in companies. I mean, when you see them aligned, when you see marketing really in a position that is directly supporting the sales effort, the results you get from that are are, are just, you know, just amazing. So, you know, that's that's the number one goal is is to bring those two things together. And I've, I've heard you talk about exactly exactly that issue and because it, it is so so crucial and so what we're doing is taking the marketing techniques that are that are well known so we're, we're not inventing any of these things in fact what we do is is look out of the market and say you know so we're primarily working with smaller businesses two to fifty million dollars a year in revenue and they all have larger competitors that are spending millions and millions of dollars on their marketing it makes a lot more sense to learn from those companies, understand what's working and, and companies that are being very innovative and in, in doing new and interesting things and then figure out how to, how to deconstruct that and turn it into something that we can put scale and efficiency into because that's, that's what's really missing in, in marketing. It's this crazy discipline. You know, I've always joked, you, you go into marketing because you don't want anybody to know what you're doing. <laughs> I know a lot of salespeople that would agree with that statement. Well, and that's the thing we have to change. And, and it has changed, right? So there's that, there's the quote that's attributed to, to John Wanamaker. I don't think he ever actually said it, but you know, it, it's, it's pretty famous. I, I know half of my advertising is, is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, these days we, we have the opposite problem, right? We know what every single dollar we're spending is doing or we're capable of doing it. The data is all there. Now the challenge is we have way too much data. We know everything about every engagement that we're creating. The question is how do we, how do we take that and learn from it and turn that data into information that we can make decisions on? And it's, you know, it's really about testing and iteration. The, you know, the, the number one thing that you can do in marketing is consistency. What, what we see in the, in the data and our experience over and over again is that being consistent in the market day after day, the hard work in the trenches, that's what really makes marketing work. 
And if you have that aligned with your sales efforts, then, you know, that long-term investment really pays off. Yeah. I mean, consistency is a, is a, is a huge key in my, you know, kind of from what I've seen. And I think it was, uh, you're talking on the marketing side. I think gong.io put out a report. I don't hold me to the numbers, but they have a database of all these recorded sales calls and they listen to them and, and they've found one thing that set apart those sales organizations that were much more effective than everybody else. Only one thing. And it came down to the consistency of sales motion. So you have consistency on the marketing side and the, you know, the minute you have more than one person on your marketing team, that becomes a challenge. And the minute you have more than one salesperson, that consistency becomes a challenge, right? And so how, you know, is there a way that is, you have to get them aligned in order to amplify the impact of word of mouth marketing? Because word of mouth, like in order for somebody to give you a referral, they have to have been impressed enough to buy from you or, or trust enough to buy from you, right? So you caught them somewhere at some point in a process, whether it was through a, a marketing outreach or whatever that may be. Then they go through the entire sales process. Then they go through implementation. To really get the referral, you have to have somebody who's really focused on shepherding that total experience. And when you have inconsistencies inside of marketing or inside of sales, and then of course the friction between the alignment, that can be a bit of a challenge. How do you help organizations kind of understand in that you know, a sub $50 million market that that totality of experience is what is going to make word of mouth marketing more effective. So results are by far the the best way to do that. So small, you know, small changes because so many of the companies we're working with, there are things that, that are relatively easy to implement that make big changes that produce results. Results are really the only way to get organizational buy-in to those kinds of fundamental changes. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the, of the challenger sale, which sort of encapsulates a bunch of research from, from Gartner. And it's really a key insight approach to selling. And, and so when I talk about creating alignment between marketing and sales, so your, your top performing salespeople in B2B organizations tend to take this challenger approach. They're not just waiting for opportunities to come to them. They're going out to prospects, bringing them perspective and value where that that prospective client is better off having met with that salesperson, whether whether they ever buy from them or not, because they're bringing them real value in the sales process. And by far the easiest way to differentiate yourself in the market today is in that sales process. So if if you are better at bringing value in the sales process, that makes such a big difference in the choice of who your prospective client goes with. The problem is, is that rarely is marketing fully aligned with supporting salespeople who take that approach. So those challenger reps spend a third of their time creating marketing materials. If you gave them the right materials, you accomplish two things. One is you get your best reps a third more time to sell. And two is you make it possible for other reps to now do a much better job of taking that same approach. So that that's a specific way that you can really create better alignment between marketing and sales and as soon as you start showing results doing that, it's so much easier to get organizational buy-in. And then there's the challenge you mentioned earlier of the data, right? With on the marketing side, there's so much data. Uh, it's almost overwhelming at some points. Like how do you, you know, on when you work with them to interpret the data? I mean, some, some organizations have quants or data analysts on the team. I would think in that smaller market, maybe that's a bigger struggle for them because they can collect reams and reams and reams of data. And so then the question becomes, how do you interpret that effectively to provide the actionable insight to enhance your go-to-market? 
I'm curious what you've seen work, you know, with all the companies that you've invested in and, and been part of. What have you seen work on that side in terms of the data management and, and appli- application of it or the application of the outcoming insights? Yeah, so I'm a I'm a programmer at heart. So for me, it's all about the data. I mean, I I see this as a technology problem. It's you know, it's not that the the techniques are unknown. It's it's that we've we've got to figure out how to follow the data, do the right testing, and you know, it's not unusual to sit down with a, a business and and see that they haven't gone in and looked at Google Analytics for six months. <laughs> And it's really hard to understand what's happening with, with your prospects if you're not following the customer journey. And you really have to tie all the pieces together, which is, which is difficult to do. Um, if you don't have a full-time dedicated, you know, IT driven marketing department, how are you going to tie the interactions that are coming from your email marketing and your LinkedIn posts and how that translates to people coming to your website and the overall customer journey that they experience across all of those channels? And without that, you can't really understand what's happening in the sales process. And you can't evaluate the effectiveness of your marketing. So that's step one is to put the tools in place to do that. And I got very frustrated trying to, to make that happen. So we, we developed our, our own marketing automation platform called Fuse. That It's not like HubSpot or, or Marketo. Um, we're not installing this in individual clients. It's to help us do the work that we do across hundreds of clients. And so we get this aggregate data stream. So it's even worse than you're thinking. It's not all the data just in one client. It's all the data across hundreds of clients. But if you have the right tools to analyze that, what you learn from that is absolutely amazing. And then I get to turn around and apply that for you know one specific project for one specific client, which means my starting point is so much better because of all the data we have from all, all the other work that we're doing and the 2 million emails that we're sending out every month and what we're learning from that month in and month out. And then if you combine that with just constantly testing, it's incredible what you learn. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's the consistency of the testing, right? I go back to go back to the consistency side of it. It's like you could set up, I mean, I've seen organizations do that. They set up a technology or something that says, here's all the data, here it comes, or Google Analytics. And I have to go in and consistently do the comparison to determine you know, which test, which, I don't know, which email subject line is working better than another one or what content in the body works. And that requires a, a level of focus to do it well and consistency that I, th- I see organizations struggle with. So does this, does this approach that you're using, the fused, um, backend that you're using, does it make it easier for consistency? Do, like, does it do the interpretation for the clients or is it, uh, just enable them and they still have to find the, "Quote unquote time block to go in and do the analysis themselves." Well, we're we're doing that interpretation on on behalf of our clients, so it brings everything together in a in a discernible way. It really takes that raw data and, and makes it much more accessible for our marketing strategists, who who are then diving in and understanding what's coming out of that, choosing what the next round of of tests ought to be, and and the beauty of of doing this at scale is that the things we learn in, you know, in one context, we then get to apply across the platform to, to all of our clients. So we get to, we get to move everybody ahead at the same time. Right. So everybody benefits from the, think of it as um, a scale, right? You, you have access to much more insight as a result of a larger data set than any one individual company would have. 
Yeah, and, and business owners and and the you know the CMO, the marketing director, what they really want is is the the top level, particularly in this size company. They, there's always way too much to do. So what <laughs> you really want to do is understand what the big picture is. How is this working? Am I am I getting a return on my investment? Because that's really our the biggest issue in in these smaller companies. You know, you you could go hire an ad agency for twenty grand a month, and it would probably be worth doing if you did it long enough in order to get the payback. The right. problem is it's hard enough to see that, that many companies that, that should do that just don't. But if you make it cost-effective enough and you are able to see the early signs of the results that are coming from that, it makes it, makes it much easier to make that long, long-term long commitment. And there, you know, there is no like miracle overnight fix for marketing. It, 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 is, a, it is a long-term engagement. There's, just, there's no way around that. Okay. Excellent. And so, um, as we were prepping, I noticed that one of the things that we were sending back and forth was just, it was literally, of course it was going to catch my attention, but it's literally a line that says, I heard a story that you're just like Bill Gates. So I don't even have context around which to like make a smooth transition to, that. <laughs> but I've got to, I got to know. Yeah. I'll make one for you. So I'm, I'm, I'm just like Bill Gates because I dropped out of college to start a software company in here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, the, the difference is that Gates dropped out of Harvard to start a, a small company called Microsoft. And I dropped out of the University of New Mexico in order to create the my first company at age 18, which, which that's literally the only way in which I'd beat Gates because I think he was 20 when he started Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> and what we did was was an ERP system for uh, law firms and in corporate legal departments. So you can imagine me at age 18 walking into the corner office of a managing partner trying to convince them to to buy this the software that I've written, which is which is how I learned to 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 sell and and then uh and then to market. So not not a lot of people know that Microsoft, the personal computer industry, was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico, because the, the first personal computer was created here and that's why Gates and Allen moved here in order to in order to start Microsoft. Ah, I, I did not know that. I, excellent. Learn something new every day. And so, okay. So we've done, uh, how many, how many companies have you invested in and been a part of now? 27. 27. So in 27 companies, you have a great deal of insight and perspective and experience that I want to make sure we take a couple seconds to, to really dig into. So 27 companies, what has been consistently the largest challenge across those that you've had to overcome in order to get them to market? Well, I mean, it literally has been the the marketing. I mean, I've had some companies we've invested in where the technology just just didn't work, and and so those didn't make it. But you know, most of the time, you you get to the market. The whole reason that I've started that company or was willing to become an advisor and invest in it is because there was a a big market to go after and, and a real value proposition. And so we had all the right ingredients to start with, but it is so difficult for a smaller company to compete. I mean, the the problem with the the sort of digital transformation of marketing is that it has made the gap between smaller companies and bigger ones so much wider. And and the reason I'm so passionate about what I get to do now is because I I believe if we don't level that playing field, it's it's going to become increasingly difficult for that smaller company to to truly compete. And yet that's what drives our economy. It's where most of our people are employed. It's where the innovation comes from. I mean, the reason big companies buy small ones and keep those of us who invest in startups doing it is because it's difficult to have that kind of innovation in a large company. So all that's coming from these small companies. We're not going to have them if we're, if we're not good at marketing. 
So help me understand that a little bit. So let's, let's do a little bit deeper dive on that. When you talk about the gap getting bigger, it, help me understand. Like, I think I understand where you're going with it, but I want to make sure that we really illuminate that for, for the audience. I mean, big, big organizations have massive marketing teams. So depending on the size of organizations, hundreds of people, whereas these smaller companies, maybe three, four, five, depending. And so I would have thought intuitively would have thought that the, the tech would have helped level the playing field, but you're saying that's not the case. Help me understand what, what the, what that gap looks like a little bit better. Well, it can, but I mean, you, I mean, you, you, you live this world and you go hire a marketing person, a great marketing person. It, the, the level of sophistication in marketing is so great now that it's not really possible for one person to be able to field all of the different areas. You typically get somebody who is a hammer. And so everything is going to look like a nail for them. They're really good at websites. So they put all their effort into websites. So they're really good at content or they're really good at LinkedIn or they're really good at Facebook. But to be competitive, you've got to stitch all those pieces together. And we talked a little bit before about how challenging that is to really understand what's going on. And so I think tech will solve the problem, but right now we're in this really frustrating place that particularly for small business owners who, you know, this, this is all, so, you know, our stereotypical uh, business owner is is in his 50s. All of this has come about midway through his career. He didn't, didn't grow up in it. I think it's going to be different for, it is different for millennial business owners. But it's very tough for somebody who's running a $5, 10 $20 million a year company to really be able to grasp all of these elements when you still have to run the company at the same time. Uh, absolutely. And it changes so fast. Exactly. And so even one great marketing person has a really tough time keeping up. And then the real killer is that it's so difficult to hold on to that person. So you find a great marketing person, their best option for growing their career is to go to work for a larger company. So, you know, we see the average tenure of marketing directors in smaller companies at about 18 months. And it's not much better in large companies. The you know average tenure over the last 10 years for CMOs in Fortune 500 is two and a half years. And every time you bring in a new marketing person, they, you know, they tell you the last guy was an idiot and they want to start over. <laughs> we've already stressed that consistency is extremely important in making your marketing work. So th- this isn't argument against marketing directors. I, you, you want a great marketing director, but you need the in the trenches work and smaller companies can't afford to buy the, the, they can't afford the full team, the four or five people it really takes to execute across all these disciplines. So it makes much more sense to, to have, to, to use an outsourced team that has all those capabilities or to have a marketing director who then gets their bandwidth from external resources and doesn't have to recreate the wheel. That's one of the biggest expenses in marketing is recreating. Why do we recreate the wheel over and over again? It is well known what we ought to be doing. The hard part is actually <laughs> doing it day in and day out. Well, it's the same. I mean, it's the same on the sales side, right? I think the last one I saw is average tenure of a sales leader executive is like 19 months. And the minute they come in, it's the last guy didn't know what they're doing. or The last woman didn't know what they're doing. So we're changing everything. When, okay, look, incremental change, I'm all for, but every time you roll, you know, the organization completely over, there's, there's no hope for consistency and you're only going to be there 19 months on average. So why don't we do our best to do the right thing for the organization rather than one's ego? Total soapboxing it right there. I don't know. It's just one of those things that, that annoys me when I, when I see it and it happens so many times. You can't be in a point where everything that the person before you did was horrible. <laughs> 
very rarely is that true. Yeah. And, you know, anytime I come in and, and work with a new client, I want to learn from all the marketing they've done previously because there's, there's a lot of value there. There's no reason to, to recreate any of that. We want to leverage that. I mean, I'd much rather have a company that has an old crappy logo that you and I would both want to redesign, but takes care of their clients and just go out and, and talk about that company and then do a huge branding project for them. Oh, yeah. We're going to get so much ROI just by taking what's already working and amplifying the effect of that. Then we are going to be starting to change everything, which then requires that you re-educate everybody about who you are and you know why this is the newer version of the same thing you already love. So why did we change it? <laughs> right. Excellent. All right. So how, how do you recommend our listeners optimize their sales side of the house to better align with marketing, right? We know, you know, we talked about results from the marketing side and the impact that that can have, but is there, is there anything from like maybe an organizational structure, like some companies still run in hierarchies, others are moving to pods, some use trains, maybe it's, maybe it's a cultural thing. I, I'm just kind of curious when you look at the sales side specifically, how should our listeners be thinking about optimizing that side of the house? Well, what I've seen the greatest return on effort is this focus on delivering value through the sales process. You know, we're not effective as as order takers in the sales process. If if that's what you're doing, then you know you can sort of have sort of any sales force and any organizational structure that you want. If what we're doing is every every time you sit down with a client, if they're better off because they met with you, then then we've a, then we've really accomplished something. So if we focus on delivering value to our prospects, we're going to get much better sales. We're going to, we're going to get the core thing that we want. We're going to teach prospects, which allows us to take control of the sales process. And it's going to create opportunities that weren't there before. It's really the, the next evolution solution selling, right? We all know when somebody's doing solution selling on us, you know, what, what keeps you up at night or you want to do yours from now? <laughs> right. I want you to already know the answers to that because you've already worked with several hundred other businesses like mine. So come to me with value and perspective that I can't get because I'm sitting here running my one company. And that that's the beauty of being focused on specific markets. One of the reasons I really like B2B marketing, because you tend to get that kind of verticalization and, and niche approach where you have great perspective and insight because you're working with so many businesses. So you just have to take advantage of that and, and leverage it in your sales process. And that kind of insight driven selling is, is amazingly effective. Man, what great insight. Love it. So, all right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a CEO, uh, that makes you a prospect <laughs> for other people. So I'm curious. I'm always curious to understand when somebody doesn't have a relationship with you, there's no referral in what works for you when somebody's trying to capture your attention and get that 15 minute conversation. What have you found to be the most effective or what do you expect people to be doing to, to earn the right to have the conversation? Yeah, and I'm going to go back to to what we were just talking about, which is that nobody really responds to a direct pitch anymore. So, uh, you know, we do so much work on LinkedIn via B2B. You, you know, that doesn't work if, if you just contact somebody with a sales pitch out of the blue. You've got to bring them value first. And that's how you start the relationship. So, you, you, you know, I expect somebody to have researched who I am and what I care about and, and reach out with relevant value to me. That starts a conversation and the conversation is what is what creates the sales opportunity. 
Excellent. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. One piece of advice. And I know that last one sounds a lot like, Hey guys, bring value, but I'm going to ask for a second one. If you could give people one piece of advice beyond that, that if they listened to that you believe would help them crush their quotas, achieve their goals, what would that be and why? So I'm going to go really specific with this just because it gives a great example of the benefit of, of testing and following the data. So, uh, you know, we, we see so much value for B2B salespeople on LinkedIn. And so you want to be posting a whole lot more on LinkedIn than you probably are now. You can go up to twice a day and get tremendous value from that. And how you do that is really important. So stop making your posts on LinkedIn a link because the LinkedIn algorithm is actually pretty simple. And if you don't send traffic offsite, you'll get about double the engagement you would otherwise. You can just add the link in as the first comment, make your own comment on your own post. What we see in the data is we get, we get just a barely smaller click-through rate percentage, but because we're getting twice the audience and the linear growth based on likes and comments you have, which are basically equal in weight, you're, you're going to get twice as much engagement for however many uh, likes and comments you generate with that post by not having the post be a link. And so I just use that as an example because so many of the things like we're not getting, you know, a hundred percent more traffic. Usually it's more like 10% or 20%. That was just beautiful because it's, it's almost a hundred percent more views in your audience's feed just by doing that one simple change. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right, Bill, if, if, if listeners interested in talking more about these topics or learning more about boom time, best way to, uh, get a hold of you, LinkedIn websites or some specific place you'd like them to go. Yeah. So I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. My, my email address is bill.bice, B-I-C-E at boomtime.com. And the website, of course, is boomtime.com. Bill, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It's been absolutely great to have you on the show. Thanks, Chad. Really enjoyed it. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill. Drop us a review. Share it with your friends, families, and coworkers. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.